Good to see you. My name is Luke. I'm one of the pastors here and part of our preaching team. And I just want to tell you this morning, I love you guys. And uh, what a gift to be able to open God's word together. Uh, we all have our different gifts. We all have our different callings. And that I get to have this be mine is like Christmas morning. So this is, uh, this is great. I'm, I'm thrilled we can be together. Um, there's a lot of things, speaking of Christmas morning, that I would love to have for Christmas. I made a list and uh, gave it to my family. Here's everything. Here's my order. Uh, no, not really. It just said, here's some stuff I'd, I'd kind of like. Maybe you did that too. Uh, one of the things that's not on my list and will never be on my list are board games. Um, and I know that this is really disappointing. Some of you are going to have to leave our church over this probably. Uh, because some of you just love board games, and I, I actually sort of wish I did, um, because uh, so many of you like them, and so many people in my family like them, and uh, I'll play them, but I will never, ever suggest it. Like, I'll never go, hey, why don't we play a board game? That's just kind of not uh, my thing. I, and whatever amount I liked it, having children and playing with them made it worse. Uh, because they just bicker and argue. And then if it's a game that they're familiar with and you say, okay, tell me how to play, they all try to explain it at once. And nobody really has like a cohesive linear way to explain how this game works. And I always have to ask this question. Okay, but how do you win? Because they never explain that. How do you win? How do you win? Right? That's an important question when it comes to any game. How do you win? And people often talk about the the game of life. You know, here we are in this game of life. And it makes you wonder with this game of life, what kind of a game is this? And how do you win? Uh, there's an author, Simon Sinek. He wrote Start With Why and a few other books. He has a book called The Infinite Game. He has uh, TED Talks and other videos you can find on YouTube about it where he compares, and he's not the only one to do this, but he synthesizes it pretty well. He compares uh, finite games versus infinite games. Most games that we think of, baseball, soccer, Clue, Monopoly, Spades, uh, that sort of stuff, they're finite games. Uh, you, you could explore lots of what makes a finite game a finite game, but one of the main things is there's a clear objective and a clear ending, right? Now, I know soccer doesn't feel like a finite game. It feels like an infinite game where no one cares if they score, but it is technically finite, like eventually it ends. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. So, so a finite, boy, I'm ticking everybody off. I don't like board games or soccer. Sorry, world. I hate you all. Uh, so you have finite games, have a clear ending, but Cynic talks about how there's also infinite games. And in an infinite game, the goal of the game is simply to stay in the game, right? This is what a lot of our, uh, like subway surfer, minion rush, Phone, game, phone games are, where like you could theoretically play that thing forever, right? The goal is to just not get smashed by the oncoming subway, uh, right? It's an infinite game. And uh, oftentimes, like, like another, an example of an infinite game would be uh, the Cold War, right? The idea of the Cold War was not that, right? It would have been horrible if the Soviet Union or the U.S. had like won that in a finite way. Right? That would have been the end of the world. The whole idea of the Cold War was stay in the game. And so what happens is oftentimes people are not playing the same game, especially the game of life. Some people are trying to play a finite game. Some people are playing, trying to play an infinite game, right? This is where we get into quagmire, especially when it relates to stuff like war. You think about Vietnam or you think about Iraq, or you think about Afghanistan, 
right? Oftentimes in history, the U.S. has been playing it like a finite game. Shock and awe, we're going to do this, we're going to end this, it's going to be over. And the people there are like, ha, 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 we're just going to outlast you. We're, you, you. You might kill tens or hundreds of thousands of us and we'll just keep coming back for more. And you end up in a kind of quagmire. So when it comes to the game of life, what game are you playing? Is it a finite game? Where's a clear ending and a clear winner? And you're trying to be that? Or is it an infinite game? And the goal is just to stay in the game. Well, here's what I want to tell you. You were made, we were made, I was made, all of us were made by an infinite God for an infinite game. We were made to live with God forever. But we traded that in for a finite game. Sin tricks us into thinking that this is about a finite game. This is why we run ourselves so ragged to get ahead because we think it's about a finite game and I got to get ahead and I got to make more and I got to do more. This is why we're so caught up in a race for more stuff and more money and more things and more experiences and more vacations and more, 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 more. We can't get enough because we got to have it all except when you have it all and then you die and then what? This is why we're so concerned about our reputations. What do people think of me? Am I, am I gaining status in the minds of my peers? This is also why we're so, so terrified of pain and suffering and death. Because pain and suffering and death feel like the end of the game. But what if there was a way to get back to the infinite game? What if there was a way to have uh, the, the game of life be not about how much you make and what kind of job you have and what kind of car you drive and what kind of vacations you take and how much better you turned out than your siblings or how much worse? But what if instead it was just about staying in the game, being with God, walking with God, living forever with God, having eternity, not just in your heart, but in your future? Well, this is what Jesus came to give us. And so the title of today's sermon is that Jesus is our victory. Uh, what we're doing in this series, we've been looking over the last months at the kings of Israel. We looked at Saul and we looked at David, and we looked at Solomon. And at the end of each thing, we basically went, gosh, we need a different kind of king. And Jesus is that kind of king. And so for each week of this Advent series, we're looking at how Jesus is something for us. Uh, last week, we looked at how he's our reconciler. This week, we're looking at how he is our victor. He's our victory. He gives us a victory and he puts us back into an infinite game. And I want to tell you this morning that in a world of failure, in a world of futility, and in a world of suffering and death and pain, Jesus is our victory. I want to show that to you from Romans 8 and celebrate that with you uh, here in just a moment. Let's pray together. Um, so Father, uh, we thank you for Jesus who gives us the victory. Oh death, where is your victory? Oh death, where is your sting? Thank you for the life we have in Christ. God, I pray that you would stir our hearts. God, not just to be in awe of you and not just to be grateful for you, though I pray that would be true, but God, that this, this would stir us to be courageous, to be bold, to live for what's eternal versus what's temporary. We pray that to you in Jesus' great name, amen. Amen. So we're going to spend our time today in Romans chapter 8. Uh, we read a moment ago from verses 31 
to 39. And I want to zoom in, especially on uh, verses 37, or 35 through 37. And I'm going to take some notes here as we look at this together. Uh, the Apostle Paul is writing to the Romans. He's been describing all the wonders of the gospel. He says this in verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we're being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. More than conquerors, Paul says. This more than conquerors is a significant word. It's a, it's a big word. There's a word in Greek that simply means victory. Do you know what that word is? It's a word that many of you are wearing it on your shoes. Nike means victory. Do you know that? Yeah, I knew you were a winner. I saw your shoes. All right, so, so this, this word, the, it, the, Nike's the root word of this word. More than conquers, by the way, in Greek, it's just one word. And, uh, and you have the idea of the conquering in the second part of the word, which is nakao. And, and there's a, a prefix to this, which is hooper. Hooper nakao. And basically what this means is super winning. We are super winning. Hashtag super winning. Right? You don't want to just win at life. You want to super win at life. You want to super duper win at life. You want to hooper nakeo at life. And this is what Paul says. And, and what he's talking about here is just this idea that, that in spite of all the things we face, because of Jesus, because he's our victory, we are super winning. I just uh, finished coaching the Lady Cardinals. We were the uh, eight and under uh, girls champions for the Gilbert Youth Football League, uh, flag football. And uh, that was quite an experience to teach a bunch of girls how to play football. Um, and we had a, a number of good girls. And, uh, you know, we, we won a decent number of games. And here's what I want to tell you, that uh, we, we had this one girl named Jaylani. And uh, Jaylani um, accounted for somewhere between... 90 to 95% of our points <laughs> and our, and our flagpoles. And, uh, I mean, and, and the rest of the team was pretty good. So like, listen, without Jaylani, we were Nakao with Jaylani, Hooper Nakao, super winning, more than conquerors, right? It was kind of fun to be able to decide, should we, or should we not score now? Here, Jaylani, have the ball. Um, it was, it was a pretty good time. And this is Paul's point. Jesus is the true and better Jelani, who is super winning. Now, if Jesus is super winning, if Jesus is more than a conqueror, then it raises this question, well, what did he conquer? Right, because here's what it said in verse uh, 37. It said, in all these things, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. In all these things, well, what things? Well, this for sure refers to what's going on in verse 35 and verse 36, but I think it's actually going on in this entire chapter and what I want to show you in the chapter of Romans 8, if you have your Bible, make sure you open it there, and I'll follow along here a little bit on the screen as well. And I want to show you 10, 10 different realities that crush us if we're just in a finite game. And Jesus conquers all of them and puts us in an infinite game. The first one is condemnation. Condemnation. Some of you live a great deal with condemnation. You're not enough. You screwed it up. 
You've got that inner critic. You've got that devil on your shoulder. You've got that person in your mind. You've got that enemy in your heart constantly condemning, condemning, condemning. There's lots of condemnation because you know you fell short. You know that you broke God's law. You know that you didn't live up to your own standard, let alone God's standard. And if you think about that at all seriously for a moment, you begin to realize I'm condemned, right? If I can't even live up to my own standard, let alone God's standard, I, there's no way I can stand before a holy God and expect that he's just going to go, eh, whatever. No, I'm condemned if that's the case. But here's the good news is that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because the law of the spirit of life, that's the spirit of life, has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done, God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin, right? Jesus was condemned on the cross and Jesus was carrying the sin of everyone who would ever believe in him. So if you are following Jesus, if you're trusting in Jesus, Jesus was carrying your sin. Jesus was condemned for your sin, which means there is no condemnation. Jesus is super winning, over condemnation. The next thing he's winning over is expiration. It's man, it's destined to every person to die and, and we're gonna die. But Jesus conquered that. It says in verse 10, but if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So Jesus conquers condemnation. Jesus conquers expiration. He's super winning. The next thing Jesus conquers is desertion. Desertion, that sense of abandonment, that sense of I'm alone now, that sense of nobody's for me, that sense of I, I better fight for myself, that sense of I, I'm on my own. Do you know what that's like? Some of you have experienced that. That's part of why last week was so difficult hearing Marcus talk about that dynamic with the father because you've experienced desertion. Some of you think because of your condemnation, because of your sin and because of the ways that you have not been the person you hope to be that God is deserting you too. And here's what Paul says. He says, you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. That's the spirit of desertion. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Now, I wanna make this point. This isn't a, a huge point to make, but, but, but I think it's an important little thing. Notice it says the spirit of adoption as sons. Now, we wanna translate that as sons and daughters. But, but here's the thing. In Paul's context, to be adopted as a son in the first century yeah, it was fine to be adopted as a daughter, but to be adopted as a son, that was a status, that was a high status. So here's what Paul's saying. He's saying you haven't been abandoned to this spirit that's falling back into fear. You haven't been deserted, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons. And as a result, you cry, Abba, Father, this term of endearment, this term of closeness. And the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Listen, you're not trying to be a child of God if you're trusting in Christ. You're not trying to earn that status. This is how a lot of people think the gospel works. Well, if I'm a good person, then God will accept me. If I turn my back on these bad things and start doing these good things, then I'll earn my way into God's family. Eh. 
Jesus has given us this spirit of adoption. Jesus has adopted us. The spirit bears, him, bears himself witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Jesus is super winning over desertion. He's super winning over subjugation. A little bit later in the chapter, it says this in verse 20, for the creation was subjected to futility. Subjected to futility, it was subjugated, it was condemned to this permanent status of futility. Not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. In hope that the creation itself will be set free, set free from its bondage of corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Well, if we're children of God and we already are adopted, this is what Paul's saying is that Jesus, through his death, through his resurrection, through his sending of his spirit, is setting all of creation free from the futility and the subjection. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Listen, God loves this world. And by that, I'm not talking about the worldly systems I'm not talking about the, the people and the structures and the institutions that are against God. I'm not talking about that. But, Jesus, but God loves his created world. And listen, God doesn't make junk. And God doesn't junk what he's made. And some of you think the whole point of this thing is to get out of this junk. To head off into the by and by. And I want to tell you that is not the point. The point is that God is gonna make all things new and he does it by first and foremost forgiving our sin because our sin is what subjected it to futility. And now he's setting us free, he's making us his children and he's gonna renew all things because Jesus is super winning. The next thing that Jesus conquered was indecision. It says likewise, verse 26, the spirit helps us in our weakness for we do not know what to pray. We don't even know what to pray for. And I'm facing decisions, you're facing decisions. What do we do? Do we pick this direction or that direction? Do I take this job or that job? Is now the time to sell the house? Is that the school to go to? What do I do with this? What do I do with that? Paul's saying, yeah, not only do you have all those questions, you don't even know what to pray for. I mean, this is pretty clear. I mean, if, if I came up to any of us and was like, hey, uh, how can I pray for you this week? You'd, you'd give me a blank stare, probably. That's what I'd probably do for you. Uh, I don't know. Well, you know what? That's all right. <laughs> you don't have to know because he knows. It says the spirit himself, this is the spirit of Christ himself, intercedes for us with groanings that are too deep for words. The spirit is gonna help us in our weakness. Listen, the Christian life is not about proving to yourself that you are strong. The Christian life is about admitting that you're weak and inviting the spirit of Christ to be strong where you are weak. Because it's not you who's super winning, it's him. And he's defeating even our indecision. The next thing that Jesus overcomes his affliction, that he conquers his affliction. I shouldn't say he overcomes it as though it doesn't happen, but he conquers the results of it. It says, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Now, all things is kind of an interesting thing because it's sort of good and bad, isn't it? All right, this is the verse that we love to cling to, Romans 8, 28. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to to his purpose. 
Why do we love that? Because we know we face affliction. We know we face difficulty. We'll talk about more of those in just a moment. And for those who love God, all things are working together. Who's doing that work? God. Why is he doing it? Because of Christ and because of his love and his affection and his winning. Jesus is super winning over even our affliction. We are afflicted. We do have pain. We do have loss. We do have struggle. We do have hurt, but it's not the final word. Jesus is winning also over our damnation. That's what we deserve because of our sin. Not just to die physically, but to remain dead spiritually, to be uh, condemned to hell forever. But here's the good news of the gospel. Here's the good news of Jesus, that those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. This is your destiny if you are a follower of Christ, conformed to the image of his son. That's who he is. That's who he wants you to be. And it's not like he wants you to be that and says, here, get to work, buddy. This is what he's doing. And it won't be stopped. It's been predestined to take place. He's doing the work. He's setting his love on you. He's helping you to follow him, right? And here's what it says, verse 30. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. Justified means to be made right with God. You would stand in the courtroom of heaven and that verdict would come. No condemnation, not guilty. And those he justified, he also glorified. Look at this. For new, past tense, predestined, past tense, called, past tense, justified, past tense, glorified, past tense. This is finished. Why? Because Jesus is super winning over damnation. Listen, you don't have to be damned to a future without God. Now listen, if you turn your back on Christ, if you say, I don't want him, if you say, not for me, you will be damned. In fact, it's not that you will be, it's that you already are. But the invitation, the call is believe, trust him, be justified, be glorified. Have that sentence turned away. All right, next, Jesus overcomes our opposition. What then should we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Now, let me ask you this. As you, those of you who are followers of Jesus, as you seek to follow God in the world, are you bumping into any opposition? Yes or no? Which was it? Okay, you're, you're bumping into some, right? Like you go out there and you try to live your faith boldly and you try to be vocal about your affection for Jesus and what you believe and you're, you're not finding people are throwing parades for you about that. Is that right? In fact, many of you, the people at your work don't even know you're a Christian. That's how afraid you are of making known who you really are. You'll be here singing, praising, yes, Lord, you're the Lord of my life. You can have it all. You can have everything. And you go to work and you're like, they don't even know. Why? Because you feel the opposition. There is opposition. There are people bringing charges against you. There are people saying, you're crazy. I can't believe you believe that. What what is wrong with you? Don't you know how regressive that is? Don't you know how backwards that is? Don't you know how much we've moved on from there? I mean, my goodness, it's 2022. And here's... The reality is that because of Jesus, 
Who can be against you? Okay, they're against you, but in the final analysis, it doesn't matter. Why? Because he who did not spare his own son gave him up for you. He's going to give you all things. You're going to have everything you need. Why? Because this isn't about a finite game. This is about an infinite game. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. It does not matter what they think of you. It does not matter what they say about you. It does not ultimately matter what they do to you. Now, listen, will you maybe lose your job for what you believe? Sure. Will you maybe have to suffer for what you believe? Yeah. Will things maybe get really difficult because of what you believe and who you follow and who you trust? Yeah. But what Paul's saying is here is, is Jesus has conquered over that. That doesn't have the last word. Jesus is super winning, even over opposition. And that takes us actually to the next one, which is tribulation. This is amazing. Paul lists all sorts of things that seem like they would separate us from the love of Christ. Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger? or sword. Do you know how you're supposed to answer verse 35? You're supposed to go, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation? Well, yeah, that would do it. Uh, distress? Probably. Uh, persecution? Yep. Famine? Well, famine. I, mean, I never experienced that, but that probably would. Nakedness? No one wants to be involved with that. Uh, <laughs> danger? Sword? Like you're supposed to go, well, of course that would separate us from the love of Christ. Or at least that's how we function, isn't it? Because when that diagnosis comes and it's not what you were thinking, and when that job is lost, and when that pain emerges, and when that relationship breaks, what do we do? God, where are you? God, don't you love me? God, where did you go? That's what we do. That's the natural instinct. If it's a finite game, and it's all about how we feel and how we look and what's going on right now, then it makes every sense in the world to think that way. But here's what the Apostle Paul is saying. He's saying, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Nobody. Even though you're being killed all the day long, even though you're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered, and the next verse is, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. We are super winning. Jesus has conquered tribulation. Doesn't mean you won't face it. It doesn't mean it won't be painful, but it does mean it won't be the end. Jesus is super winning even over tribulation. And finally, Jesus is winning over separation. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Okay, not death or life, not angels or rulers, so not things in this world, not uh, spiritual powers, not the things going on right now, not the things that are gonna happen, also still not the powers, nor height, nor depth, I don't know what that means, but I know this, nor anything else, nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's how victorious Jesus is. He has conquered separation. Get this, he conquers condemnation, expiration, desertion, subjugation, indecision, affliction, damnation, opposition, tribulation, separation. 
And listen, if this is only a finite game, all those things that he's conquered would set us back. That's why we're so afraid. That's why we're so nervous. That's why we're so flustered. That's why we're so worried. But Jesus has overcome them and we're in Christ and he's moving us back into an infinite game. Now, I I want you to be clear here. Romans 8 makes it very certain that the world is living in a finite game. And they're coming at you. And they're attacking you. And sometimes you're sustaining heavy casualties. But his game's only finite. The enemy's game is only finite. The world's game is only finite. God's game is infinite. Look at what Jesus says in John 16, 33. I have said these things that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have Nikeo overcome the world. 1 Corinthians 15. Oh, death, where is your Nikeo? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the Nikeo, the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Or Revelation 12. We're going to study Revelation next uh, Next fall, it's going to be really great. Revelation 12 is the uh, Christmas passage that nobody studies. It's the woman against the red dragon. The, woman, the dragon's trying to snatch the baby from the woman. It's, you know, ho, 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 Merry Christmas. And here's what it says in that chapter. And they have conquered that dragon. God's people have conquered. God's people have Nikeo him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony for they love not their lives even unto death. If you love your life more than anything else and you won't give it up, then you're in a finite game. But when you go, no, 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 I'm cleansed by the blood of the lamb. My allegiance is to Jesus. He's super winning over everything else that comes into my life. He's conquered Satan, sin, and death. I'm good. Then you go, what can they do to you? Listen, real power is not standing up to the opponents of Christianity and giving them a mouthful. Real power is having a smile on your face while they crush you and saying, (laughs) what can mortal man do to me? It is God who justifies. Uh, my wife Molly was uh, reading the Chronicles of Narnia, Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe to Hank. And this was about a year ago that they were reading it. Uh, you know, she was just reading them a chapter a night or whatever the case would be. And, and uh, if you know that story, if you don't know it, I'm going to spoil it. You know, you've had, I don't know, 70 years to read it or something like that. So. But uh, in it, C.S. Lewis it, it has this uh, character, Aslan, this lion. And Aslan is kind of the Jesus figure. And Aslan is, uh, you know, there's, a, there's a magic that is at, at work in the, in the land of Narnia. And Aslan sacrifices himself with a deeper magic. And so he allows himself to be tied up and he allows his fur to be shaved off. And Aslan, like Jesus, dies. And all the uh, followers of the white witch are rejoicing just like the followers of the world, just like the powers and the principalities were rejoicing on that Good Friday. Ho-ho, we won, we won, we won. Well, if it's a finite game, but then there was a Sunday 
And on the Sunday, Jesus showed he wasn't playing a finite game. He was playing an infinite game, and he was still in it. And so Molly's reading, Hank, this story and reading about Aslan. And, and, and he was devastated when, when he heard that Aslan died, right? Because Aslan is powerful and he roars and he's amazing and he's so compelling. And Lewis does just this unbelievable job of gripping the imagination of a, at that point, five-year-old little boy. And Hank's crying as Aslan is killed. And then Molly reads him the chapter where Aslan comes back to life. I was out of town for something, I don't recall what, but Molly sent me this text. How to not get Hank to calm down before bed. <laughs> Read the chapter where Aslan rises from the dead. He's literally running around the house yelling, yeah, baby, that's what I'm talking about. And he's spiking all his stuffed animals he can get his hands on in celebration. <laughs> And I just want to tell you today, yeah, baby, that's what I'm talking about. Jesus is our victory. So listen, if this is true, what could this unlock for you? What sort of fear? And I don't want to minimize the fear. It's a real fear. But, but if, if Jesus is super winning, if this, yeah, baby, this is what I'm talking about. He's alive. You're in an infinite game. What can any, like, like, does that maybe give you a little boost to go, I'm, I'm going to keep going? Yeah. Who is there that you're, you're wanting to share your faith with? You're wanting God to open a door. You're trying to invite him to Christmas Eve. You're not even going to wait for Christmas Eve. You just want to tell him the gospel now. But you're a little bit afraid, and it's like, what is this going to do? And I don't know. And this, is it okay at work? And wh what if this is true? <laughs> this, this just changes everything. What, what, would this begin to give you some freedom from the comparison trap you're in? Some of you, you're already like, this Christmas is gonna be harder than the last Christmas because the economy's tighter and your things are tighter and, and you know you're gonna get all, and you're already caught in it? Would this make you go, you know what? <laughs> I got everything I need. Jesus is our victory. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, what a gift to know Christ. Lord, uh, we don't deserve any of this. We've turned our back on you. We've opposed you. Lord, if, if we had been there when Jesus was being crucified, we would have been among those shouting, crucify him, crucify him. And yet in your grace and in your mercy, you have changed us from being your enemies to being your friends. You've welcomed us. You've freed us. You've revived us. You gave Jesus, born that man no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth. Born to give them second birth. That's what we have because of you, Lord. And so God, would you give us power? Would you give us courage? Would you give us tenacity? Would you give us the ability to keep going and endure? Because Jesus is our victory. We pray it in Christ's name, amen.